0: Welcome to the Venice Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Venice Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God.
1: Well, that's, that's the way to do Sunday. Sunday. Oh. Guys, welcome to Vintage Church. <laughs> I'm so glad that you are here. I'm glad you are here sitting in this room, and I'm glad that you are joining us online. June is my second, favorite most, second most favorite month of the year. My first is January because I love snow and Just putting it out there, if it doesn't snow this coming January, I'm resigning and moving to Michigan. Uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So please pray for snow, guys. Uh, But I love June. I love June because I love summer. I always loved the feeling of, you know, the end of a school year, getting out of school. And I love that we have this way online, that no matter where we go, No matter if we're, you know, senior weeking with our friends, if you're on, if you are at senior week, if you're at the beach, you just graduated and you're with your friends and you're watching church, I want to know about it. Okay. I want to celebrate that with you. Uh, And when you go on vacation, let us know, hop on that vintage church app, click respond and say, Hey, I'm, I'm watching from Myrtle beach. Hey, I'm watching from Maybe you're in Michigan on vacation. Who knows? We wanna know. We we'd love to travel with you wherever you go. I'm so thankful that uh, technology that we have allows us to do that. So we are here in our fruitful series. If, you know, If you're joining us for the first time, we started a series right after Easter, walking through the book of Galatians called Plain and Simple. And it was really important to Paul that people not complicate the gospel, that they not add anything to it or take anything from it, that it just is what it is. And so he spends a whole book talking about that. We, we walked through Galatians and then we got to chapter five and we started talking about the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And so we decided that we wanted to just kind of pause that and let's take Several weeks, we're actually going to take basically all summer to walk through what Paul means by the fruit of the Spirit. But I think that before we can experience the fruit of the Spirit, we have to have a good understanding and appreciation for what it is that is in direct opposition to that fruit growing in our lives. So let's see what Paul has to say about this in Galatians chapter five. Galatians five sixteen says, "'I say then, walk by the Spirit, "'and you will certainly not carry out "'the desires of the flesh. "'For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, "'and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. "'These are opposed to each other "'so that you don't do what you want.'" Now, pop quiz. I know school's out, almost. You ready? What is it that is in direct opposition to the spirit? There you go. Yes, you can talk, it's totally fine. The flesh is in direct opposition. To the Spirit it says, "These are opposed to each other, so you don't do what you want." Now Jesus Himself said as much when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that He was arrested. Now He and His disciples had been in the upper room. He washed their feet. They did the Last Supper, and then they're walking out to the Mount of Olives. They're going to pray. It's very, very late at night, well past midnight, and Jesus is distressed and troubled in his spirit. So he takes his disciples to pray and he brings Peter and James and John a little deeper into the garden with him. And he says, stay here and pray, keep watch. And then Jesus moves further into the garden and he prays so fervently to God. He says, take this cup from me, this thing that I'm getting ready to have to do. If there's any other way, please take this from me, but not... As I will, but as you will. Well, he comes back to his disciples that he has asked them to pray and they're asleep. And he does this several times, and Jesus is praying to the point that he's sweating drops of blood. And he comes back, and his disciples are clueless as to what's going on with Jesus. They're tired and they've fallen asleep. And he says to them, He says, Pray. And keep watch so that you don't enter into temptation. And then this phrase has stuck with me for years. He says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus told his disciples, Your spirit in you is willing to do the thing that I ask, is even ready to do it. But your flesh is weak. And what I mean by the flesh being weak is that your flesh cannot help but give into its natural desires, okay? It is really difficult work for your flesh to do anything other than take care of itself, okay? So we need to understand the works of the flesh, Paul lists in Galatians some examples of works of the flesh, starting in verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. You can see them, they're obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity idolatry sorcery hatreds strife jealousy outbursts of anger selfish ambitions dissensions factions envy drunkenness carousing and anything similar i'm warning you about these things as i warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god now those claps were my own but thus i feel paul's pretty emphatic about it this same list appears multiple times in the New Testament, both from Paul and other writers. Now it's not the exact list, but this idea of that the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other and that the works of the flesh are evident is littered throughout the, the New Testament. And so I think it's important that we understand what he talks about when he talks about that we need that we have this flesh that we're always battling against. So I want you to know kind of four characteristics of the flesh. The first thing I want you to know about the flesh is that the flesh is always centered on ego. When Paul talks about flesh, and know when we think about flesh, you know, you think about like flesh, but it's not that kind of flesh, okay? It's part of it, but it's not all of it. Flesh means ego. Flesh means not just the physical aspect of your existence, but also all of your desires, all of your urges, all of your impulses, anything that leads you to promote yourself or preserve yourself and often at the expense of others. That is what he's talking about when he talks about the flesh. It's, it's your ego. It's you, it's every natural desire that you have. Now, Paul teaches the Romans in Romans chapter eight, starting in verse five, he says, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And then he says this, which I find very interesting. It says, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Your flesh cannot submit to God's law. It is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So your flesh is always centered on yourself, on ego. It's always looking to prop that up. The second thing you need to know about works of the flesh is that it always leads to slavery. And here's what I mean by that. Every time that you enter into a work of the flesh, it will lead you further and further and further and trap you into almost serving your sin. When I was in fifth grade, um, I got senioritis of elementary school and didn't turn in a few, uh, I know, (laughs) it's a real thing. Uh, I didn't turn in some math assignments. And I kind of just stopped paying attention in class because, I mean, I'm just going to breeze on to sixth grade and be fine. Well, midterms came, and my teacher passed out my midterm, and I looked at it, and out beside math was a big, fat F, I had barely even made a B before this, so I, I did not know what to do. But I knew that in no uncertain terms could my parents ever know that I was anything less than A-plus perfect. So I did what any self-respecting fifth grader would do. I took a black pen and I turned that F into a beautiful B, problem solved, sort of. (laughs) So my teacher kept asking, Jasmine, where's your midterm? Um, well, my parents had just been really busy and I just forgot to show it to them. And this went on for several days. My parents, Jasmine, where's your midterm? Oh, my teacher hasn't given it to me. So I'd already lied. I'd lied to my teacher and I'd lied to my parents. Well, then I had to like, you know, Build up my, I had to stay true to my lie. So I gave my parents my midterm. I just, and I put it on the table because goodness knows I couldn't have looked them in the eye and been like, oh, here you go. So I was like, it's, it's on the table. I heard them, oh, Jasmine, great job. Oh, you did so good. Sign, sign, sign. Here, you can take this back to your teacher. Only I couldn't because it had a B and she knew I did not make a B because she wrote the F on there. So I got back to school. I thought, well, I could get into my teacher's file cabinet. I could steal the original. I could go make a copy of it. I can forge my mom's signature. I didn't do that because that was too much. So I just, I thought, I'll just keep, I'll just keep avoiding my teacher. She's also one of my favorite teachers ever. So this was very painful. So I, I made it somehow. My teacher didn't, she didn't ask me anymore about it. My parents didn't ask me anymore because they'd sign my midterm. They'd seen my great grades. Well, Friday afternoon, I was standing in the hall waiting to get on the bus to spend the night with my best friend, Leah. Well, meanwhile, outside, my mom got stopped in the car rider line by my teacher who said, Sheila, what did you think about Jasmine's midterm? And my mom said, oh, we were so proud. My teacher said, really? Because she made an F. Well, I was standing in the bus line and when I saw my mom with my two sisters in tow charging down the hallway of Brevard Elementary School, I knew that the gig was up. She looked at me and she said, Jasmine, Tell Leah you will not be spending the night with her tonight. I said, Leah, I will not be spending the night with you tonight. Jasmine, tell Leah you will call her later and explain why you are not spending the night with her. I said, Leah, I will call later. I'll tell you why I can't spend the night. With tonight. I went home in complete silence. The next words that my mom said were the most dreaded words any child can ever hear. Wait until your dad gets home. Okay. The end of that story is a good story for another day, but let's just say it ended with a hickory switch and a little bit of grounding. So you will become slave to your sin. Even as a fifth grader, I learned that when you sin and when you continue to prop up yourself and your ego, even trying to protect yourself, it will entrap you. I was trapped in that sin. The other thing that the flesh will do, is, it, is it's divisive. I mean, even in that example, my lie divided me from my parents and from my teacher, both of whom I loved and trusted so much. It put a barrier in our relationship, not just then, but even after I came clean. Because then it was like, I don't know that I can trust you anymore. When we have outbursts of anger at our children, it separates us from our kids when we're envious or jealous of the new teacher on our hallway, it divides your team, it divides your staff. And in all cases, giving in to the desires of your natural self will always divide you. Always divide you. It's that feeling that Paul talks about in Romans 7 when he says something to the effect of, I do what I do not want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. He is so frustrated through this whole passage because he is, he's divided. His flesh and his spirit are divided against one another. So every time we choose the flesh, we're just dividing ourselves. Also, I want you to know that the works of the flesh are varied, Okay, there's more than one kind of works or deeds of the flesh. Now, this is not to say that one work of the flesh is better or worse than another one, because if we're guilty of one, we're guilty of all. But we see the evidence of these works in really distinct ways. I mean, Paul even uses the word obvious. Like we can clearly distinguish from having an extramarital affair, from getting drunk with our friends after a football game. Two different things. They're all, they're connected by just that root of sin, but they look very different. And just because you're getting drunk with your friends after a football game doesn't mean that you're going to have an affair later on, okay? So they are varied, like gossiping and practicing witchcraft, easily distinguishable. Now, one work does not necessarily indicate that you're also engaging in every single sin of the flesh. And this might seem like a really weird thing to point out, but if you hang with me, I promise it'll make sense once we start talking about the characteristics of the Spirit. Now, Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what we see here, especially in that verse 24, it says, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's because the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, it's centered on Christ. Christ. And it's centered on others. It's not centered on us and our ego. Paul says in Galatians 2, 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. I, my ego, my natural impulses and desires, everything that I want is crucified. Is crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved, him, who loved me and gave himself for me. We see that we live our lives for Christ because we ourselves were crucified with him and he gave himself for me. So we give ourselves freely to him and to others. Living in the spirit also leads to freedom, a life that is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit is a life that is full of freedom. You are free to do these things. Paul says in Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5.23 says the law is not against such things. If the law isn't against them, you are free to do them. And when you exhibit those things of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, there's so much Freedom, because you're not worried about getting caught. You're not worried about somebody finding out. You are free. The fruit of the Spirit is unifying. The, the qualities that are listed here by Paul are all things that bring people together that allow people to trust one another, to confide in one another, and to forgive one another. One of the things that we value the most here at Vintage Church is integrated community. We want our people to be connected, deeply connected to one another. And when we have that fruit of the Spirit growing in ourselves, using it to serve one another, it brings us together. It also makes people who are not part of the body curious about what in the world is going on. Why do y'all love each other so much? It's inviting. It brings people in. It unifies people. The next thing I want to talk about has just really stuck with me. I I got stuck in Galatians 5.22, the first like six words or seven words. Let's look at it. Galatians 5.22a says, The fruit of the spirit is. It's singular. He doesn't say the fruits of the spirit are. He says the fruit of the spirit is. Because I think I've always thought like, well, love is an apple and joy is watermelon and peace is a pineapple. But it's not like that. He says not the fruits of the spirit are. He says the fruit of the spirit is, singular. It's all of these things that they're they're somehow connected to one another. They're dependent upon one another. And then I thought of when Jesus was teaching the disciples in John chapter 15, verse five, it says, Jesus is talking, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I am him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. He doesn't say that you will produce many fruits. He says you will produce much fruit. Well, Jesus is clearly talking about growing grapes, you know, vines and branches. And I don't, I mean, I didn't, I don't know all of the fruits, but the one that he refers to most often with like vineyards, he's talking about grapes. So I did a little deep dive this week about how grapes grow. So deep in fact that Google now thinks that I am trying to open my own vineyard because I'm getting all kinds of advertisements for wine labels in wine bottles. I will not be doing that just to be clear. So... I ain't got time. All right. <laughs> so I, I wanted to know, how do grapes grow? Because this, I feel like this really matters. And what I found out floored me. Okay, so I've got some pictures to show you. All right. So what you see here is like the stem of a bunch of grapes. Okay, so you imagine in a grocery store, that green stem in the middle, okay? All of the little buds are called caps. Each one of those caps has the potential to be a grape. Now, in the beginning of the summer, each of these caps burst open into a bloom. Now, these blooms are really unique for the plant world because each of these blooms are what's called a perfect flower. What that means is it doesn't need anything external to pollinate them. These flowers don't need bees or other insects to carry pollen, you know, from the male flower to the female flower. It's all just right there, self-contained. Now, sometimes insects get involved and it's fine, but it reminds me of how the fruit of the Spirit can't be manipulated. It can't be manufactured. It cannot be faked and it cannot be forced. It only comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So once these different flowers, once they're pollinated, the fruit is set. And all of these little berries start to grow. Now they're very hard and you would not want to eat one at this point in the game, Uh, but you can see how they're all set and they're all set at once. And over time, as long as they stay connected to the vine, as long as the vine is providing the nutrients that it needs, they start to mature. And so you might be here today and thinking like, I know all of these different qualities that he talks about, but I don't, I don't feel like I've, I've got them all. Be patient and let the Lord do his work as you remain in him because one day this fruit will come to maturity. One day this fruit will be used for the thing that it was made for to serve others. Now, I think it's really interesting that the fruit of the Spirit, it's almost like it's what we call mutually inclusive, which means that if you have one, you have them all. And if you have all but one, you have none, okay? Ride with me here. Let's go to when Paul is talking to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and does not keep a record of wrongs. I think it's so interesting that he says, love is patient, love is kind. You cannot be patient if you do not have love. And you cannot have You cannot say, I love, if you are not also patient. It's very difficult to exhibit goodness and not also kindness. So all of these fruits of the Spirit are set at once and all grow into maturity. And every single one of these different qualities of the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in every believer's life at all times. Not like, well, you know, this week I'm gonna really show love, but I'm gonna be very impatient with my kids because that's, that's not for a few more weeks, right? They're all connected to one another, And then it doesn't all grow to maturity at once, but it grows steadily as it remains connected to the vine. And Peter describes something similar in 2 Peter, starting in verse 5, or chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And again, this is Peter talking, this is not even Paul. And here he is listing out all of these things that Paul has deemed fruit of the Spirit. So we really need to pay attention with a lot of different people are saying basically the same thing. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, each of these qualities are increasing in measure all at the same time. As you remain rooted, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it was greatly impressed upon me as I was reading and researching and praying leading up to this day that I get to bring God's word to you, that we not get so far into this series without reiterating what the nature of the flesh is and what is the nature of the spirit. I want you to know that it is a constant war that is raging within us because we all have physical bodies, right? We're all physically sitting, you know, somewhere. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we also have the Holy Spirit present in our lives. So we're always experiencing this tension and this conflict within us. And yes, sometimes in the flesh, People who don't know Jesus and even just us in our own efforts, yes, sometimes we can exhibit something that resembles the fruit of the Spirit, but only to the extent that they serve us, that they prop up our ego. For example, you are willing to be patient as long as the waiting ultimately benefits you, right? You're willing to have joy as long as the circumstances are favorable. You can have self-control, as long as it's beneficial to you, but maybe not for the sake of others. And that brings me to to where I wanna really push us today. And that's in that next fruit of the spirit that we've been talking about, love, joy, peace. What's next? Patience. And you're like, all right, hurry up, Jasmine, let's go. Mm, I know. Patience. Now, this word for patience in the Greek isn't just about waiting for a cake to bake or waiting on your nails to dry or waiting in line at the DMV. It also has to do more with forbearance and long-suffering. It's having patience even when others provoke you. It's having patience and restraint and self-control and the ability to keep going with somebody even if they're needling you and annoying you, whether it's on purpose or just because they are the way that they are. No matter if somebody is intentionally trying to needle you or get under your skin, or it's just something that rubs you the wrong way because it conflicts with what we prefer, this word forbearance, forbearance keeps us from lashing out in anger. It keeps us from riding somebody off. It keeps us from canceling people. Christians should never be people who are known for canceling, okay? I'll just say that. Forbearance keeps us from burning bridges, it keeps bitterness from taking roots in our heart. And it's such a necessary work of the Spirit. This, this long-suffering, this forbearance, it enables you to bear adversity and personal you know, injury. And it helps you to be patient for the other person to improve. It helps you to be patient and give space for God to do the work that he needs to do in his life or her life. And the devil wants nothing more than to overcome you. And he thinks that he can outlast you. He may not get you the first time you get needled, but he'll get you the second or the third. And his game is a long one. And so we have to be willing to go long to long suffer, to forbear no matter what. And unfortunately, I think that we make the enemy's work all too easy. We allow ourselves to be provoked by anything and everything. Sometimes I think that we're looking for it. We walk into a place like, I dare you, come at me. We, (laughs) because everything feels so personal and so important. And it's so easy to pipe up, clap back, to dissent, to throw stones because we rarely ever have to look at people in the eye when we do it. We show up to the Facebook town square with our caps locks blazing ready to mow down anybody who wants to come against us or we think they're coming against us maybe they're just posting something and then we get in the comments oh gosh okay we're we're mad about the post anyway and then we start reading the comments and the people who comment make you mad and you're like that'll teach them <laughs> it does you're right it does teach them it teaches Them that it's more important for you to prop up what you think and to say what you need to say than it is for us to prop up God and the work that he needs to do. It's an issue of ego. And the inflation of our ego decreases our ability to bear with one another because ego says, I deserve this, I'm owed this, I want what I want what I believe is the best thing and that it's of greater importance than anything that somebody else needs or wants or deserves or believes. But the Spirit, the Spirit says, no, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So anytime you feel your flesh rise up in you, I want you to commit that verse to memory. Write it down, it's Galatians 2.20. Anytime you feel that you have been provoked and needled to the point that you know you're getting, you are getting ready to bring it. I am crucified with Christ, uh-uh. I'm not rising up to this. I am crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. God, please live in me this moment. Ephesians four says, therefore I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep unity in the spirit through the bond of peace, Matt Rhodes he he told us this first last week and i love how he emphasized make every effort are we making an effort are we making an effort to control ourselves are we making an effort to forbear the grievances that we have against one another. And then he says very emphatically, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. He tells us right there, how do we stand provocation? He says, you're provoked, here's how you deal with it. You deal with it with humility. You think of yourself less, not think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Take you out of that equation. You handle it with gentleness and with love, making every effort to keep unity through the bond of peace because we are called to one body, the body of Christ, that precious body of Christ. And we are all too ready and willing to rip it to shreds and it's god himself who gives us the endurance and encouragement to have forbearance toward others. Sometimes we try to circumvent this by maybe only, you know, hanging around and following and watching and whatever the people that we like and the people that agree with us because we know that we're we're not going to have to forbear very much and even if we do it's fine because we love them and they love us and it's all good. But the body of christ is all of us and all of our opinions and all of our preferences In all of our political affiliations, it's all of us together. And he reminds us God wants a unified voice among his people to praise him and glorify him. And that doesn't mean uniform because obviously God loves variation. He loves variety. Colossians 3 is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And and in this, Paul, he starts to to say, he, he teaches about the flesh and the spirit. And he tells us to put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes on in verse 12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, those things we're seeing again and again, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you are to forgive. The New Living Translation writes it like this. It says, make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anybody that offends you. Make allowances for it. Expect it. It's gonna happen. Be ready for it. Don't be surprised. Be ready when it happens with that fruit of forbearance. Don't let your frustrations and your irritations and even the outright wrongdoing of others be the things that that rule in your hearts. Paul tells us in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. Don't let other people's opinions be the thing that rules your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. God teaches us patience by showing us his own patience. He has delayed his rightful judgment of us for our own sakes. And so if God can be patient with us, can't we be patient with others? And his patience is such a kindness toward us. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. Chapter two, starting in verse 18, he says, "'Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, "'not only to the good and the gentle, "'but also to the unjust. "'For it is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, "'one who endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. "'For what credit is it when you sin "'and are beaten for it, you endure? "'But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I love that. Jesus deserved absolutely zero of what he got. And yet he knew that his purpose was be being obedient, was stepping forward even to the point of death on the cross. Because it is the work of the Lord to bring justice. It is the work of the Lord to convict and to change. He let God have the room that God needs. And if Jesus can do that, so can we. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, Jesus didn't merely forbear our sin. He forgave it by giving himself on the cross. And Jesus, I want you to know this, Jesus does more than tolerate you. He loves you. And we can do more then tolerate the people who come against us, the people who bother us, the people who provoke us. We can do more than tolerate. We are made in God's image and we follow Jesus. We now live our life in him. We can follow his example and doing more than tolerate. We can love, we can love one another. And here's the cool thing. He doesn't just give us this pattern to follow. He didn't just set the example. He also gives us the power to do it. Through the Holy Spirit in us, he says, I know, listen, I know your flesh. And I know that you can't, but I can. And if you will let me work in you, I will grow this fruit of forbearance that's also side by side with love and with kindness and with peace so that you can serve one another, so that you can unify my body, that you can be reconciled to one another. And here's here's the honest truth today. More times than I've had to offer forbearance, I have had the need of it. I need people to bear with me because I don't, Always measure up. I don't always say the right thing. I don't always do the thing that I was gonna do and the time and the place that I was supposed to do it. And I need people to be patient with me. And I'm assuming that y'all are the same way. That you're looking at somebody and you're saying, please just bear with me, just stick with me. Because I, I need you and I also need you to know I'm doing the best I can right now. So be willing to offer it because there's somebody like me who also needs it. God, you have gone before us in all of this, gone before us in setting the example, gone before before us in the path that we have ahead of us. You know what we are up against from the trivial to the traumatic, and you are in all of it. God, we know that we have full access to you, that we can approach your throne with courage and with boldness, and that we can ask for whatever we need in your name, in your great almighty will. God, and that if it is something that is for you, you will do it. You told us that in John 15, that if we ask in your name, God, and we ask in your name that you will give us the willingness to be patient with others. Because we need it so much ourselves. Thank you for your patience in us and for us. It is such a kindness to us. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.